Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, founder of the B Podcast Network and author of the book School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and cyber traps for expecting moms and dads. And now I'm realizing none of them are as mysteriously named as School X. So you and I have to talk about that. Um, Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Uh, that is a great revelation to have on episode 140 of the podcast. <laughs> Okay, it's a little light. What can I say? <laughs> oh, man. I love this show. Uh, over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Now I'm looking through this. I guess this comes under publishing and media, the yeah. Cybertraps podcast. It sure does. <laughs> We're learning all kinds of new things today. Right. I'm in a very curious mode today, but hello there, Jethro. <laughs> hello. So good to see you. Oh, likewise. Good to see you. And we are, I think this may be our first annual show in the sense that it repeats the topic we did a year ago in episode 88, in which we are talking about the potential cyber traps of Halloween costumes. And actually, I forgot to write to you and ask for the creepy noises. We oh, must yeah. be able to do those in post-production. <laughs> There's one. Halloween has become the second largest holiday in the United States, right behind Christmas. 25% of the nation's candy will be bought and consumed in the next two weeks which I find to be just staggering. Um, you know, I live on the sixth floor of an apartment building. I've kind of drifted out of the Halloween candy delivery thing. But when Amy and I first moved to New York City, we lived in Clinton Hill in a brownstone, which had three or four floors, four floors, I guess. And it was one of the hot spots for Halloween mm. in Brooklyn. So everybody would go out on the stoop, you know, the old Brooklyn soups, you know, 12, 15 steps long. And the kids would come in waves. You'd go through like $100 worth of candy <laughs> Just in like a that. night. It was, yeah. It was and insane. that was back before all um, this inflation. Right. Exactly <laughs> right. So, and then, you know, it was not quite as nuts as, as our little neighborhood in Vermont, where people did, among other things, jello shots for the adults, which is my favorite <laughs> Halloween story. But, you know, Clinton Hill would, you know, you'd have porch productions, you'd have all kinds of different moving objects and so forth. So obviously there are parts of this country where this is a big deal. And not surprisingly, it spills over into the classroom. 
which is it, what we're talking about today. And and I'm looking forward to whatever stories you can haul out of the oh man <laughs> archives. <laughs> it it sure does. Um, and I personally hate Halloween. I think it is mm. the worst holiday ever, and I totally despise it. But okay, so we need a Halloween equivalent of the Grinch. Yes. <laughs> Yes. That being said, I, I still participate and do things. Um, yeah. but I just try to not do a lot of it. So we still give out candy and stuff like that. And we would yeah. do, I would dress up, um, as a principal, my, um, my requirement was that the, the secretaries usually would say we should all be like a theme for Halloween. And I would say, you tell me what to wear. I'll wear it. I have no problem at all. And so um, I will I will find and text you and hopefully put in the show notes my favorite costume, which was us being the Ghostbusters. And um, it was it was great. And my secretaries did an amazing job of getting us prepared for that. It was truly <laughs> glorious. Well, so, I truly I, I truly have no idea where this photo is, but if I could find it, it would be of unending amusement to you and to our audience. Back when I was a kid in Rockland, Massachusetts, my parents got the idea from my brother and I to dress up as firecrackers and mine it said, my pop is bigger than your pop. <laughs> <laughs> and we basically looked like lipstick tubes or something. Oh man. <laughs> but more recently, back when I was bearded and definitely a little heavier, I was like routinely Henry VIII on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. I yeah. found the picture. Here it is. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, yes, it was kind fantastic. Of the Jeff, is it, was it Jeff Goldblum? No, who was in the Ghostbusters? Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and the, the third guy, the director, actually, who died not terribly long ago. That's yes. who you look like, the director. Excellent. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was a great Halloween costume. And some kid dressed yeah. up as the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and... Uh, it was just awesome. So I will, yeah, I will you, put this in the folder so that it gets out there when it goes out. Yeah, you got to make sure that goes up on the web page because that is just classic artwork. That's yeah, it's <laughs> beautiful. It is very good. Well, that's beautiful stuff. Now we've got a bunch of stuff that will go into the show notes per usual. Dig into the resources. We're not going to go through all of this today because you know, in kind of my classic historian perspective, you know, I was just diving into the history. But you know, this is an old holiday. This is 2000 years plus of human history because, you know, frankly, when it starts getting dark and cold and windy and rainy, people begin to freak out a little bit. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, a couple of millennia ago, winter was a bear. It was a tough thing to get through. So anything you could do to, number one, make the gods happier or perhaps more importantly, keep the demons away. You were, <laughs> you were going to do that. Um, and so, you know, I think the fun thing about this is, is making that transition from the Celts celebrating the holiday they called Samhain in, you know, the early years before Christ to teachers getting fired today. That's quite a journey, <laughs> but we, we can do this. <laughs> We're going to make that connection. Now, speaking of which, I think you need to make your pre prediction about what's going to happen within the middle of November. By the middle of November, Jethro, I will have added files to my research that will show that at least one and probably more teachers will have been fired because of something that they wear on Halloween. We're going to talk about the parameters of that, but every single year, 
And even, I might point out, in the pandemic year of 2020, people managed to get themselves fired for their Halloween costumes. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's frustrating to people because when you look through the kind of historical development of Halloween, it really, you know, particularly in the United States in the early uh, part of the 20th century, became this community-driven event. You know, this idea that people were going to get together, celebrate the end of the summer, kids going back to school. And because of its Celtic origins, it carried over this idea of playing with the concept of identity, right? Mm -hmm. Because what the Celts were doing was that they were disguising themselves from the evil spirits by wearing costumes that suggested animals or other kinds of things. And because we're superstitious creatures at heart, that yeah. tradition has lasted over all of these years. And again, it's one of the funny things. You go from somebody dressing up as a cow or a donkey or something like that to dressing as a slutty pumpkin or whatever <laughs> it is that you're buying at Walmart. And so, yeah, maybe, you know, kind of the seriousness has drifted away a little bit, but it's still at its core, right? It is a holiday in which people are playing with identity. They're playing with their fears uh, by embracing horror. Jamie Lee Curtis has been in how many Halloween movies? I mean, the whole, and I don't do horror at all. So that's all, this is all by reading about it. Yeah. Is, this is all over <laughs> as much as I like Jamie Lee Curtis. But, you know, one of the things that you see is that, you know, Halloween has ebbed and flowed in terms of how people have interpreted the holiday. I remember as a kid, in the 70s, so you were like two, um, that <laughs> when, when, when people were talking about Halloween, it's when we got the great razor blade in the Snickers bar or the apple uh, scare. And I remember my mother cutting all of my candy basically into mincemeat yeah. to make sure that there was no razor blade. There never was, of course. But my town, being you know relatively conservative and and in southeastern Massachusetts, um, outlawed Halloween, at least trick or treating altogether. And we had this very pale substitute that my siblings and I continue to this day to make fun of, called Operation Goblin. And the idea of Operation Goblin was twofold. Number one, you went from classroom to classroom in your school to do trick or treat. And then you always had a dance, which was miserable because you're at you know, end of elementary school, middle school. It was just brutal. So um, flashback, PTSD. Anyway, so <laughs> we, we see Halloween embracing uh, or, or reflecting different societal concerns there's been a lot of concern over sexual objectification, particularly of young girls in the costumes that are marketed you know, online or in stores. And now most recently, there's the fentanyl as M&M scare, which yeah. um, you know, people are basically saying that you know, in some neighborhoods, the drug dealers will be pushing rainbow colored fentanyl, which by the way, doesn't exist, but it's still out there as, a, as this threat wrapped around Halloween. So one of the challenges that I think particularly younger teachers face today is that there's this sense that Halloween is this, um, for lack of a better term, disruptive holiday, that you mm -hmm. get to do things you wouldn't normally do. And that really is a little bit challenging when you think about the ethical obligations for teachers 
and the you know code of conduct and and their role as a role model in the community. Yeah, so let's talk about this for just a second because one of the this idea of it being disruptive uh, for teachers is very real and it is very disruptive. And the best days are when Halloween is on a Saturday or Sunday because school's not in session. So we don't have to do anything for it, which is which is always good. But the other aspect of this is that the uh, the idea of wearing a mask, for example, and schools often say no masks allowed uh, that cover your face. Huh. Um, sometimes they even go so far as saying no face paint is allowed as well. Um, but the idea is that when you put on a mask that covers your face and people don't know who you are, that your behavior changes as you become anonymous mm. and you act differently than how you would act otherwise. And that is something that I've seen over and over with uh, with different experiences I've had with Halloween, where somebody puts on a mask and they become this different person. And and this gets back to the thing you you were talking about before, about being a... Uh, a reflection of the things that we fear and that people who would not normally act a certain way act that way uh, when they have a mask on. And this is this is part of why it's so disruptive for teachers is that once kids put on these costumes, they start acting like whatever their costume is. And that can be very disruptive to the day-to-day -day, um, operations of a school. Well, of course, that's directly relevant to the work that I'm doing on the rise of the digital mob, because a mask, after all, is a form of anonymity. Mm. And there's this real phenomenon in which that sense of anonymity and, you know, uh, uh, obscuring of identity frees you up from conventional behavior. And so people think that they can get away with things or let, you know, their inner selves be expressed in ways that they wouldn't normally. And I think that, yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think it also flips around and helps us to understand some of the challenges of the pandemic, you know, where everybody needed to be masked. Yeah. And, interesting. and that, it, it is so interesting because schools who were so against masking before now said it has to happen and that it is absolutely necessary. And all the reasons we used to have why masks were not allowed, we totally flip-flopped on and said, <laughs> now it's required. And it just goes to show with a lot of things that we in schools have just made things up to make things easier for us. And <laughs> there's not really a real purpose behind it. So let's, let's talk about something from the model code of ethics for educators. Um, so the one that I want to highlight is the professional educator respects the rights and dignity of all students by taking into account how appearance and dress can affect one's interactions and relationships with students. And that uh, ties to this other aspect of it that, the professional educator demonstrates responsibility to oneself and the profession by refraining from professional or personal activity that may lead to reducing one's effectiveness within the school community. And these, these ethics still apply even when it's Halloween. And we often forget <laughs> that, right? Right, right. And, and that, that I think is, is one of the inherent tensions of Halloween, right? Is this idea that you're, you're basically going to somehow, well, in the case of kids, you're, you're engaging in basically blackmail, which is to say, give me candy or our <laughs> toilet paper yeah. your house or something like that. But I think with adults, even if they've moved away from that kind of transactional approach to Halloween, 
it's, it is very much caught up in this idea that you can act out mm-hmm. because that's the nature of the holiday. You, you know, that, that you're going to kind of fight against the darkness by really embracing, you know, this new version of yourself. And that's all well and good. I absolutely understand the impulse for that. I think the issue though really is for educators to understand and reflect upon the fact that their effectiveness is what makes them good teachers. And if they're behaving in a way, or if they're representing themselves in a way that undercuts that effectiveness, then they've really stepped away from being a teacher. And that's not the point of Halloween at all. You know, so by way of examples, so we can talk a little bit more concretely, you know, back in episode 88, we talked about the teachers up in Idaho who had basically tried to act out political issues. And one group of teachers, this is back in 2016, I think, or 2017, had basically dressed themselves as a wall. So there were five of them all wearing brick costumes. And the idea was that they were going to build a wall to keep out illegal immigrants. And then there was another group that had dressed up in characteristically uh, Mexican garb and had really gone, you know, with all of the stereotypes of the big mustache and the sombreros Mm -hmm. and all the rest of that. And, you know, in and of itself, even if you dropped those teachers down in the middle of Massachusetts, you know, where there are fewer immigrants, that would still be problematic, just by way of example. But in this particular case, 40% of the community is immigrants or of Hispanic descent. And it was really not easy for people to understand why teachers would do that, you know, because it really seems to mock the very people in their classroom. So there's the whole thing. If you go to episode 88, you can see a lot more detail about that. In the research that I was doing for this particular episode, intriguingly, one of the more common things that appeared to be popping up was the idea of people dressing in blackface, you know, obviously using darker makeup to pretend to be, you know, one or more African-American athletes or actors or what have you, and somehow losing sight of how that might be offensive or culturally appropriative or what have you. So um, to my mind, and, and maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just cranky, but a lot of this seems like common sense right i mean just being decent and kind to people you can be funny right well this is the the real challenge for me is that uh one of the reasons why i don't like halloween is because it gives people they think it gives them permission to do whatever they want and that the normal social taboos and social mores don't apply because it's Halloween. And that's where we, we get into trouble with all of this. And, and so the idea of doing something intentionally to, to build a wall between one group and another, uh, as a, as a teacher group does not make any sense to me, doesn't compute in any way, shape or form. And I don't get why they would think that that's okay. It just does not make any sense. But a lot of times people think something will be funny and then they take it too far or do too much or whatever the case is. And that's where I wrong (laughs) or they're just wrong. Exactly. And that 
that's a real thing too that sometimes you are just wrong and it's not funny it's not appropriate and and yet you you can still think that it is but it's it, that doesn't mean that it is 100 percent yeah and and you know this kind of conversation is always tricky and you and i have discussed it in other shows as well because what we're really talking about is the boundaries of humor right right mm-hmm. And comedians are debating this issue every single day. Can you be quote unquote funny anymore? You know, and and that really, I think, gets to this issue of how we define humor, what we find funny in our society. So I think that there are a lot of people who want to be outrageous and defend themselves as being funny. And there's a difference between being outrageous and being witty or creative or amusing. And, you know, we're not going to go through them all right now, but if you go into the show notes, it's hard to find a kind of more mainstream magazine than good housekeeping. And one of the articles that I dug up lists, you know, their 15 don't wear these costumes. If you need a guide as to what's probably not that funny, that's a good place to start. And, you know, if you can figure out a way to make some of these funny, well, you're probably going to have a Netflix series and more power to you. But <laughs> in general, your average costume creator should not be, for instance, you know, wearing an Al-Qaeda, you know, airplane bomber costume to a party. It's just not in good taste, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Whatever. I, I, you know, again, I don't want to be Michael Douglas, get off my lawn or Clint Eastwood or whoever that was, you know, <laughs> I really do. I do appreciate, you know, the fact that, you know, in two and a half weeks, I'll be sitting on the balcony here in Brooklyn and I'll be watching some really creative people walk up and down the street. You know, I get that people want to have fun with that, but I think that what the model code of ethics contemplates and what you're grappling with a little bit, I think as well, Jethro, is this idea of maintaining our, our empathy and our connection to the community and our decency, even when we're trying to engage in this really, you know, ancient rite of passage into the winter. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really funny because we, we, we want to, like we want to get attention, but we don't want that attention to be negative. Like everybody wants positive attention in their life. And sometimes the way to get that, depending on your social circle and the people you're around, is to be more outrageous rather than attention getting. So for example, the year that my daughter had uh, surgery on her hip, she was in a walker at, at mm. Halloween time. And she mm-hmm. was using a walker we sprayed her hair um, gray and then dressed her up like an old woman so she looked like a grandma. And oh, we, it was a great costume. And it was, I love it. One of, one of the greatest she's ever done. But the thing is, is that that was, that was not disparaging anybody. That was taking what we had in the moment, which was her in a yeah. walker, and finding a way for it to be a, a positive enough kind of a thing. And we weren't saying that old women are bad or anything like that. And, yeah. you know, she looked like an old woman when she was walking in her walker. That's just how it was. And <laughs> and it was actually pretty cute. And, you know, that yeah. that we wanted to get her the right kind of attention and make her feel like it wasn't so awful being in a walker. And that that's what we achieved with that. And 
that's the kind of thing that that you want. You want to get that positive attention and and have people appreciate it and see the humor in it and not go so far that it's like, oh man, that's awful. You know, you you don't want well, to do that. Right. And I think the point there is, you know, this idea of maybe playing off of the 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 humor, right? Of your daughter being how old? 12, 10, 12? Yeah, 12. And and looking like an old lady just because she's using the walker. And so that's a costume as opposed to a jibe or an insult or something like that. There's, there's, there's a subtle difference there that people really need to think through. And it's not easy stuff. And I guess part of what I'm arguing for is let's err on the side of kindness more than anything else, you know? Yeah, exactly. So well, I the, think I, I go ahead. You, well, you I was just going to say the, the other thing about this is that because of social media, if you are wearing a costume that is meant to be an inside joke for just a small group of people, yeah, it is not <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> It no, is not going to Why be not? just a small group of people. So even if that is like, even if this small group of people will think this is appropriate and funny, doesn't mean that a larger group of people who don't know the situation, don't know the context, will think that it's funny as well. And there's a very good chance that 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 somebody's going to post it on social media and share it out there and you may not be happy with the feedback you get from the broader world besides just your friends. That's that's really well said and there's not really much to add. It's just that you know whatever protection educators had, you know, 20 years ago, it's gone now because you can be with people who think you're the funniest person on earth and they love your costume and, and then they actively want to take photos yeah, and share and it. Share it. <laughs> and <laughs> lo and behold, <laughs> not everybody agrees, as you correctly point out. And so, you know, the way we phrase this is that you need to think as an educator and as an administrator on a global scale now or at the very least on a region-wide scale, you know, because that's really the audience now that every educator is in front of. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It really has changed the dynamic of the profession, which is, you know, one of the reasons that there's so many vacancies. There are others, of course, but yeah. this definitely is a factor. Yeah. Well, and, and the other aspect of that is that when it's, um, you know, you're, if there's an assembly or a Halloween parade or whatever, you are not in control of who is seeing that and taking right. pictures. And so right. you've got to be really careful about that and make sure that you're doing it, um, being smart about what you're wearing to school or, and to parties as well. Right. Or, you know, the other way you can approach this is you just accept the consequences yeah. of the choices you make. And, you know, look, a good example of that is the, um, the mermaid parade in Brooklyn, which goes for like a mile and a half around Coney Island and it's in the middle of the summer it's New York it's Brooklyn you can imagine that there are varying degrees of dressedness or undressedness that you know these mermaids wear and they people just that's what they're doing they embrace the fact that they're going to be walking down the boardwalk with cameras lining mm -hmm. you know Coney Island and yeah, they're choosing to allow people to take all of these photographs. Now, if you're in an intimate group, you may think that you've all got a social contract that you're not going to kind of share how yeah. you're dressed. 
I got to tell you, those those social contracts get broken all the time. All the time. Yeah. Fast, very fast and without any notice at all. I mean, that's just... right. And and the more outrageous you are, the more likely it is that somebody will, in fact, say, hey, somebody else has to see this. They may yeah. think it's approving. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So our warning on Halloween, eat the candy, dress nicely. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. No, serious. Yeah. And and the last thing I think is is worth mentioning is that, you know, teachers may say to themselves, and this pops up in a variety of different contexts. Well, look, you know, I wore, you know, Anne of Green Gables costume to the school assembly. I couldn't have been more reasonable. And then I wore my slutty nurse outfit to a private party. Why can't, why am I getting in trouble for that? Well, it's the fact that your second costume is spread all over Facebook in your conservative community, (laughs) that that's now a potential problem. And the only thing I would, I would recommend, and and I'm sure the actual administrator on this show would agree, (laughs) is that administrators should get out in front of this and have these conversations with educators about the potential consequences of their costume choices Yep. And, you know, yeah, it's at some level, it's not fair, right? But educators have a special role in the community, for which, by the way, they should be paid properly. That's another show. <laughs> <laughs> but they do have a special role. And part of that special role comes with a responsibility to moderate one's behavior so as to retain an effective position. Yeah. So two things you can do. Number one. You can send out an email, talk to your staff, you know, talk to each one individually as a group, whatever you need to. Number two, send them this podcast. Say, listen to this or our one from last year, episode 88, same topic. We give the same advice. Think before you dress up and make (laughs) smart decisions. And regardless of how you feel about either of those things, you've got to recognize your role as an educator and make good decisions about it. Well said. Fantastic. I hope this goes viral. (laughs) (laughs) Along with every candy wrapper in the country. All righty. That candy wraps up this episode of the Cybertron. (laughs) In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, the challenges of high-tech parenting, and next week, professional practices institute and teacher licensing and by the way some of the folks who dress up in costumes will wind up in front of those teacher <laughs> licensed right. people so <laughs> we'll bring our worlds together yeah. along the way we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology you can find the cyber traps podcast and all of your favorite podcast apps we hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have a guest question or topic suggestion if you'd like to follow us on twitter i'm at jethro jones and fred is at Cybertraps. and if you're still listening you must have loved this show please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast service we appreciate having you with us and look forward to you joining us next week